Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today's guest is Carlos Diaz, uh, an entrepreneur, an investor, a podcaster, a blog writer, a bread maker, a guitar player, uh, and he also happens to be the, the CEO and founder of Uncut.fm. So I've been lucky enough to get to know Carlos uh, here over the past eight months or so. And believe me, he's someone that you're going to want to start paying attention to and listening to closely if you don't already. He is has an extraordinary background. He's an entrepreneur in every sense of the word. Uh, he created his first startup at the age of 23, which IPO'd a few years later. Um, then he built the first uh, software as a service company in France and moved it over to uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, and then he eventually sold that company. He now runs a startup accelerator. He has a rolling fund where he invests in, in pre-seed uh, companies. And again, he's the founder and CEO of Uncut.fm. Um, so, man, today we, we we dove into so many different uh, angles of, of his background. Uh, but mo most importantly, we talked about the collide between the sports, the tech, the Web3, the NFT world. Um, and, and uh, you know, got to pick his brain on those topics. But we still talked about his background and, and, and the first... First 15 or 20 minutes of the episode, we just talked about lessons learned from his entrepreneurial experiences, which are very powerful. Um, many parallels between the business world and uh, and sports and athletes. Uh, he gives a nice overview of the Web3 world, and he, he gives some, some definitions to those of you who might not be as familiar of what Web1, Web2, Web3 is, the blockchain, NFTs, etc. Um, the huge opportunity that athletes have with Web3. Uh, how NFTs are, are much more than just a quick sale, uh, the importance of the utility behind them, the value, different case studies and examples of projects that you can tap into if you are an athlete or if you are a creator of any sort. Um, and then obviously Uncut.fm and, and, and what they're doing, their vision and how they're, they're changing the, uh, the Web3 world here and providing opportunities for athletes um, and creators of all sorts to, to really um, engage with their community, build their community, uh, and not just monetize from their community, but uh, have the ability to monetize with their community, which is super important. So um, obviously a lot to dive into here. It is uh, it is a little bit more than an hour long of, of pure genius, uh, if I do say so myself, from taking notes from, uh, from everything Carlos had to say. So uh, I appreciate you tuning in and uh, enjoy. Carlos, welcome to Sports Business Secrets. Thanks for having me. Super pleased you know, to be here with you. So we have a lot to talk about today on this podcast. Uh, as you know, we dive into uh, behind the scenes of the sports business world and, and some life secrets that uh, the audience can't necessarily just find on Google. And someone who sees this might wonder, hmm, typically we hear from scouts, GMs, and sports marketing companies. Uh, what's up with this episode? Well... I know blockchains and NFTs scare some people, uh, but today we're actually going to learn why it's important that people need to understand the Web3 world and the sports world. It's it's one and the same and 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 why they need to be paying attention if they're not already. So I want to ask all sorts of questions. We're going to dive into several topics, but what I like to start with for my guests is I give them uh, about 60 seconds just to give a brief little background on maybe where you're from and then uh, your upbringing and what you wanted to be when you when uh, when you when you grew up. Grew up. <laughs> yeah yeah so my name is carlos diaz uh i come from france my 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 name is very spanish actually because uh i'm both you know french and spanish uh but i moved to san francisco 12 years ago with my family and uh i've been a tech entrepreneur all my life i started my first startup i was uh 23 that was back in uh, 96 
And um, I, yeah, I've been running startups uh, for my entire life. Uh, some with a lot of success, others, you know, with uh, less success. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been in the tech space since, uh, in the web space since day one. And uh, I've been, and that's interesting what you're saying about the fact that a lot of people are a little bit suspicious about, you know, the Web3, because I remember it was exactly the same thing uh, in 96, you know, with the web and people were uh, very, very uh, uh, polarized, you know, in this uh, new internet that was uh, emerging at this time. And, uh, and with Web2, it was exactly the same. You know, when we saw these social media, social networks uh, popping up, a lot of people were uh, questioning a lot, you know, this uh, new world, you know, coming up. So I'm not surprised that a lot of people are, yeah, a little bit uh, confused, you know, with the, this Web3 world that is coming up because it's new. It's just because it's new. And, um, and, 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 one thing that is important, you know, to understand is that it's it, we are at the very early stage, you know, of these uh, of these new movement. Uh, I think because I've been in this space for a long time, observing you know technology, um, that it's going to be a tsunami, and that the paradigm is about to shift, and drastically, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that and how and why it has to shift also as well. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I understand it's just the beginning. And uh, I think also like anyone starting, you know, something uh, there, there is a lot of mistakes that, have, that are being done, you know, right now. And that's also normal. It's uh, when something is emerging, it's not always the right people doing the right stuff. So it's going to take time also to, to get there. But the technology is here and uh, it's not going to fade away. Definitely. And I know you touched on a couple of terms that some some of the listeners might not know. We're going to get into that. We'll get into brief definitions here shortly. But before we dive into the Web3 stuff, uh, can you share a little bit about the decision to not follow the status quo of the nine to five job? You know, obviously, you know, you mentioned you've been in this, this startup world for 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 most of your life. Um, and, and, you know, you, you you're one of your first companies was. Uh, one of Europe's biggest SaaS companies. So, you know, just talk about the, the because there's so many parallels uh, between sports and business and entrepreneurship. Talk about the decision to not do what the average or normal person is doing, and, and what that really, how that kind of skyrocketed your 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 business career. Uh, yeah, I, I it, that's interesting because I I don't feel I'm working. I mean, it's just, I feel very lucky. Uh, I started, as I said, you know, very, uh, very young. I was 23 and it was a passion. You know, I mean, at Reedy Internet was a passion. I was really passionate about as a user, you know, and um, and and I think that uh, it's, it's, it's exactly the same with sports. You know, I mean, that a lot of people are starting, you know, maybe basketball because they are passionate about the game itself. So... For me, the web is my game. It's just that I love to play uh, in this field, in this playground, and I love playing the ball. And uh, um, and uh, I'm not. I'm sure that a lot of athletes playing basketball professionally don't feel like uh, they have a job. You know, it's, it's just that they are just doing what they love to do. And I feel like uh, 
there is a lot of parallel, of course, you're right, in between people, uh, entrepreneurs, and, uh, and uh, athletes, professional athletes, because it's about, yeah, it's about doing something you love and you're truly passionate about, but at, at the same time trying to make a living out of it. So, <laughs> and that's, that's, that's not very... Uh, that's the million not, dollar question right there. Yeah, that's not easy. Uh, the way I approach, you know, that, and again, I, I think I've been very fortunate, you know, to be able to make a living out of my passion since um, so much time, you know, because I started 25 years ago and I, I never stop. Um, actually, to for I was a teacher, you know, before doing that. Uh, I was uh, I was about to become a teacher in the French national education and uh, I decided to start you know my startup when I was 23 thinking that if anything goes wrong I would get back you know, into my teacher job of course I never went back you know to to this job and I never thought of going back you know because I, I was uh, in this space so now the question is how do you make your passion and what you truly love doing every uh, every day uh, and turn that into a living I never saw the money as a as an objective. So basically, uh, I was trying to do my best and work very hard in doing uh, this, and money was just a consequence. You know, that was basically uh, the way. I, I I'm also an investor. I invest in startups a lot. Yeah, I've invested in more than ninety five startups in the last four or five years. Every time I see an entrepreneur coming to me and and telling me, yes, uh, one of my motivation is to make money. I think it's uh, the worst decision you can make is to create a company or becoming an entrepreneur if your objective is to make money because there is ninety five percent of chances that you're not going to end up, you know, making any money. So i i don't have i i don't have the recipe and uh, i don't have any advice you know for people it's just that you should ask yourself it's uh if it's something you truly love find your expertise find something a niche where you're better than anyone else you know and 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 really make this niche your true expertise and uh, and yes work on this expertise to improve this expertise and sharpen your, your your sword, you know, every day, that's the real objective. And if you do that, and if you use it correctly, yes, the consequence is that you end up, you know, making money, eventually, eventually. <laughs> it's it's so powerful because it's again, you know, I can be a broken record with the sports analogies to business and to life, but you know, if if you see it far too often in basketball as well. It's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of players that are very good and they, they want to go become a pro and, and get the multi-million dollar contract or make a ton of money overseas. And you have to realize that like in business is the same in sports. There's a lot of people that love it and they're good at it, but do you love it the most and are you the best? Right. And so, you know, if you go into it with, um, with the goal of making money, you're getting the biggest contract before you start to identify, Hey, am I the best at my position? Or am I giving the most value? Or am I, you know, am I the best shooter in the world like Steph Curry? Or am I a good shooter like everybody else? You know, once you once you identify that niche, um, you know, it allows you to 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 get paid the most as a as a consequence. I like that. I like that mindset. What one more topic on on like the the entrepreneurial life that I think is super important, and I tell the same thing to American basketball players who 
go overseas to play professionally. You know, I think it's, it's absolutely imperative and super important for you to have a global perspective, whether it's mm. for sports or for business. And so obviously you with, you know, French Spanish background, um, you know, living in, living in Silicon Valley for, for, for nearly 15 years, how, how does, how does that global perspective help you or how has it helped you, um, you know, in your, in the business world? That's interesting what you're saying here, because uh, I started my first company, my first startup, it was uh, in a very small town. Well, not very small town, a small town in France named Limoges, by the way, very well known in terms of basketball because uh, yep. very famous, you know, with the Limoges CSP, CSP that was maybe one of the most uh, famous uh, basketball team in France. So I know a little bit about basketball because I, I, I went to see all the games, you know, when I was uh, a teenager and I was a big fan of, um, of, of the Limoges CSP. But uh, it's, it's a small town. It's like, I don't know, Pittsburgh, you know, in the US. So it's not really, it's not really the town, you know, you can imagine to, <laughs> uh, to, to, to run a startup, you know, uh, from, you know, I mean, it's so, I always been in this, uh, I always, yeah, I always felt I was not at the right place. <laughs> so basically when I started this company in Limoges, I, I quickly decided to move to Paris first. And then I, I started and, and, and it opened, you know, new opportunities, you know, to me. And when I was in Paris, I was like, okay, great. But Paris is not, it's not the capital of the technology. So I have to, and then I decided to move to San Francisco. Um, Moving from Limoges to Paris was already uh, a challenge uh, because uh, it's like going from Pittsburgh, you know, to New York. I mean, it's you can imagine, uh, and I had to adapt, you know, a lot, you know, to uh, the way business was done, you know, in Paris. That has nothing to do with, and also the level of ambition and stuff like that. And moving to San Francisco was uh, another big jump, you know. Of course, uh, I feel like uh, there is even more difference in between France and the US than there is in between France and Japan. And the main problem with that is the difference, the cultural difference in between Europe and the US is this difference is totally invisible. When you go to Japan, the way, the day you arrive at the airport, everything is different. You, the music is different, the people don't look the same, they don't wear the same dress, the same clothes, they, they don't eat the same food. They don't listen to the same music. So you understand that you're not in your country and you adapt, you know, right away. You start adapting, you know, from day two because you understand it's not your culture. When you're from Europe, and I, I that's because you're talking about uh, uh, professional players in the U.S. going in Europe maybe to play basketball, they have exactly the same kind of uh, a cultural difference and they won't see the difference, you know, right away because... When I arrived in San Francisco, first of all, I thought that I would move to San Francisco because San Francisco was the most European city uh, in the U.S. Totally wrong. <laughs> it's absolutely not European. It's an Asian city in the U.S. It's uh, the, the mentality is, uh, is, is absolutely not European. So I was wrong from day one. But also uh, when I arrived, you know, everything was kind of like in Europe, but just bigger. Yeah, that's what I thought. When actually it was not the case, it was radically different. And after 12 years, I still discover, you know, stuff that I'm not prepared to 
and I think uh, it put me in a very uh, kind of a dangerous, always dangerous in a situation where I could be lost, not in, only in translation, but also in a cultural shift. So that requires me to always adapt and very and be very very aware of everything that is going on and um and i think that's i mean I, you know that you have to be a little bit paranoid you know when you run a, a company and not being into your country and not understanding what's going on and not having all the keys of your culture make you very paranoid you know in everything you know so basically i think it sharpens also your uh, you're out of your comfort zone mm -hmm. uh, so I think I, f I find that, you know, but at the, and at the same time, the fact that I have another culture, maybe I see stuff in a different way and it makes me a little bit more creative or look a little bit different, which is important because when you're trying to do something that, yeah, that's something interesting. I, 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 there is something I learned. And by the way, here in Silicon Valley, I learned that. Don't try to be better. It's 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 impossible to be better, you know. That, than others. Yeah, I mean it's very very difficult, you know, to be better than others, especially if you're entering a space where there are, and sports is a very good example. Mm -hmm. So you better doesn't work unless you are hundred times better, which is basically impossible. Okay, better is not going to be, is not going to work. And I think that for athletes, it's 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 some, some sometimes a lot of people are. I need to be better. I need to have better stats and stuff like that. And maybe that's not gonna what gonna make the difference. What you need to be is different. Is uh, how can you be different? You know. So basically, there is no benchmark anymore. You're not gonna be benchmarking you know, with others. It's just that this guy is different. He's playing different. You know, on the, on the playground, he has stuff. You know, that he's doing that nobody else is doing. And that's exactly what we need at this time, you know, in this team. So one thing I've learned, and because I was coming from somewhere else, I was different by definition, by culture. And that helped me a lot in everything I did because I didn't have to be better. I don't it's know if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's super powerful. I mean, it, you, you said several things there that I think is powerful. We didn't even get into the technology part we're just talking about life lessons here but yes you you, you that last part and and we've talked a lot about you know the, the the agency world and pro basketball world that you know i know you're not immersed in but that's the yeah. conversation we have is you have to differentiate yourself you know you 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 know comparison is the thief of all joy is, is a term that i tell players a lot it's like as soon as you start comparing to where somebody else gets in their stats you're that's a different player it's a different journey it's a different everything. If you focus on your company, if you focus on your jump shot, if you focus on your story, you can differentiate yourself Absolutely. to, to be the best. And it's the same thing with business. And, and like you said, you know, the reason why I asked is because there's a lot of American players that don't understand the, the opportunity that they have to be different, right? When, when you go to that next level up, like you went from Limoges to, to Paris, to San Francisco, right? Players go from high school to college, to mm. pro, to, yeah. Every step that you take up, you're outside your comfort zone and you need to level up because now you're playing it, playing with the best people from that other level. Right. Yeah. So it's so it, it's very powerful. But um, of course, you know, I, of course, we agree on the fact that if you suck, you know, you're not going to go anywhere. Of course. But if you reach, you know, this level, every everybody's good. Otherwise, they won't be here. 
So when I arrive in, in San Francisco in Silicon Valley, which is the Champions League of technology, uh, it was, uh, of course, everybody was super good at technology at what they were do doing. So what I'm trying to say is that it's very difficult to be better than they are now. But yes, but you can be different. And, 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 and that's something we've learned. It's Apple and Steve Jobs that introduced, you know, this concept back in 1994 with the thing different, you know, campaign, you know, of Apple, where basically mm -hmm. was not trying to sell technology. You remember this campaign, you know, with all these, uh, uh, Picasso, Gandhi, and all these guys, you know, we built, you know, this, uh, techno with this computer for, and they didn't even mention, uh, the word computer, but, uh, we are here for the misfits and, and Steve Jobs taught us that it's much easier to introduce stuff different than trying to be better than the competition. And I think it's a, it's a lesson not only for companies or entrepreneurs, but it's, I think it's a lesson for everybody. So you need to find your inner story. So, uh, I'm different. People will remember me. I think different. I, 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 I have maybe different ideas and stuff like that. Like that so instead of trying to um i just try to uh yes to make them shy and 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 thrive you know with my difference sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work you know so it's 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 dangerous also world but hey you, you know you like you said before too you're going to any type of entrepreneur you're going to experience sometimes when you do embrace oh that God. difference and then you, and then you're going to fail you're going to fall on your face and you're going to either pivot or you're going to go to the next thing and that's just part of part of life part of sports part of business yeah another analogy i'm using a lot you know with my the startups i invest in i always have this question to them how how you doing and when they say oh yeah everything is fine everything is doing well they're probably really american very worried that's they're probably very worried. they're probably american when they say this yeah maybe or they became too much american but uh yeah, I mean, I, I, I usually get very worried, you know, when they say that, because at the stage when you're trying to create something new, either it's uh, a company or even your own career, it cannot go well. It's impossible. I use this analogy all the time. It's like cycling. If it doesn't hurt your legs, it means that you are going down. <laughs> so, so it's like you're in a bicycle, you know, so, but it has, if you want to climb, you know, this hill, it has to hurt. It has to be difficult. So I love, you know, when my startups are telling me, Jesus, it's hard, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I have a, I'm suffering, you know, it's painful. Uh, I've got all these problems and stuff like that. That means that you're going, you're going up, man, you know, you're climbing this hill, you know, because it, it cannot be otherwise. Because if it if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, and it's it's because it's hard and and because it's because it's never it's never working, it's never going well, and it's in terms of mental health, it's very hard, you know, to manage, you know, these things. Yep. Because I think that there is a big parallel also in between entrepreneurs and athletes, where it's a high frequency life. I mean that there is no mid frequency. It's 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 you're you're in a world. You're in a bipolar, you know, world all the time. You can wake up in the morning. You think you're going to crush it. You're going to be the king of the world. And two hours after you feel like you're a piece of shit. And then three hours later, you're, you're like, yeah, but I have to, I have to make it, you know, I have to do it. And uh, you, you, you find, you know, this energy and that brings you 
uh, back into the game. And, and 30 minutes after, you receive a, an email that put you down again you know, and stuff like that. And all your life, and I've been doing that for 25 years, and guess what? It's, it's damaging. You know, I mean, mm. I, everybody's like, oh, that's cool. You have, a, you have a great life, you know, as an entrepreneur, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it really hurt, you know, me personally, but also all the people around me. It has, it has a lot of collateral, you know, damage. It's Absolutely. And, uh, and I never recommend, you know, anybody, you know, to go into the startup life. You know, I know that when I was a teenager, what was cool is to play in a, in a band, you know, and play rock and roll and play guitar. I feel like right now what is cool, you know, for, for young generation is to, it is to launch a startup and they, they are super excited and they look at this world, you know, with uh, a lot of, uh, uh, yes, yeah, sparks in the eyes. I think it's the same with sports, you know, by the way. Definitely. And my message, you know, to them is, listen, if you're truly passionate and that's really what you want to do, do it, of course. But you need to understand something. It's a shitty life. It's really a shitty life. And, and you know what, though? It's, it's so true. But some people, most people won't learn until they actually do. Because yeah. I think part of the reason that, that this young, younger generation, let's say, is because the blessing and the curse of social media and of, of mm -hmm. the uh, amount of content, because they see, uh, you know, the 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 article in Forbes of, of this startup that is, you know, fortune 500 and they, and then they eventually go, you know, become, they go public and the owner makes millions and millions of dollars. And, but they don't see what's on the bottom, you know, underneath the iceberg. They don't see the hours that were put in. Same with, same with sports. You see, you know, Steph Curry, you see LeBron James, you see all the success off the court and on the court. And beautiful you don't see, stories. Yeah, of course yeah. You, you just see the highlights. Right. And so we live in a, a world of highlights. And um, so I think that's, that's definitely, uh, the, the curse part of social media, but, but you, you know, you're right. I mean, I think that was such powerful, uh, an opening to the, to the episode. Yeah. I think we can go for hours about just the business and entrepreneurial episode. Um, but let's, let's transition a little bit here into the web three world, because there are so many opportunities right now. We talk about having an audience, having a, having a platform, um, you know, being able to tell your story, being a content creator. And this is, athletes, influencers, somebody who has a podcast, somebody who has a Twitch channel, you name it. So let's start real quickly because I know there are some athletes, which was myself included last year, um, or some um, people in this audience that don't, you know, they hear web one, web two, web three, or they hear blockchain and then they stop, they shut down. They don't know what it is. So yeah. can you maybe give like just a, a couple of brief definitions, like start with web one, two, and three, just to explain yeah. to people what that is. Yeah, so when we when we talk about web one, web one, two, web one, web two, web three, it's just the evolution of the web. Okay, blockchain is the underlying you know technology. So if you don't and you shouldn't maybe care about the technology, that really doesn't really matter if you don't if you don't understand you know how blockchain is working or NFT is another technology we use. This is just technology. It's like a you sh you can compare you know for example blockchain with http it's uh the protocol you know we use to create websites that's the letter you put you know before www http is the protocol we use so blockchain is just a protocol it's just a technology so uh, for nerds and uh people like me in, in silicon valley yes it's very important but for regular people you don't need to understand you know the things you know they doesn't really uh uh, matter 
what is more important is the evolution of the web. Where are we coming from and where are we going? So if, I, if, if you let me explain a very quick, you know, this evolution. Web 1, uh, so think about 95 to 2010, okay, I would say, uh, or maybe 2000. Um, this period was, uh, we had this wonderful technology of the web, but creating content was very difficult, you know, and very, it cost a lot of money. So we had, by the way, at this time, traditional media companies creating the content on the web. What was the revolution was that anybody can access, you know, this content directly from a browser, you know, and that was web one, but the content was created from uh, institutions or media companies uh, because it was expensive, you know, to create this content and put this content on the web. Uh, then the web two arrived and the revolution, the shift and the paradigm shift was on the fact that the technology has commoditized and, uh, and now we can give the possibility to people, to individuals to create their content themselves. And that's when we saw social networks um, popping up or also uh, platforms like YouTube where basically you didn't need to be uh, CBS or ESPN to stream in a content online. Any individual could create a channel in YouTube and stream this content. But the technology was uh, commoditized to people, but at the same time, it was still you know, very expensive. And basically what happened is that a few companies like Google, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and others uh, built this technology for us and basically gave this technology uh, to us so we can start you know, creating content ourselves and that's when we enter, you know, the world of uh, UGC, user-generated content. The problem is that uh, the content we were creating was in the hands of these platforms. And we know how problematic this is, you know, today, because basically you have a handful of companies that have uh, these tools and uh, that concentrate all the content with, uh, and they can, they can, uh, they can have, they can, yeah, they can censor, you know, some of this content. Uh, they can decide that you're not going to be able to use their platform anymore without any uh, further notice or whatever. So we concentrated a lot of power, you know, in these companies. Uh, so it's great because we have the technology. And in the meantime, what they did is they suck all our data. Because the only business model, if this technology was free, they had also to make some money. And the only business model they found was advertising. So basically they said, okay, we're going to give you these tools so you don't have to pay for it. But the content you're going to create or the content you're going to consume, we're going to extract you know, some data from this so we can sell not the technology, but your profile to advertisers and uh, we're gonna make a lot of money out of it. And that's what happened, that's where we are you know, right now. And the Web3 is about going back to the roots of Web1, where basically it's an open protocol that anybody can use with uh, commoditizing the technology. So basically the, some sort of the best of the two worlds, you know, where basically 
yes, it, we have this technology available, but we don't have this technology is not in the hands of uh, powerful, you know, companies that are going to use our data. It's on a dis it's a, it's a, it's a, it's decentralized, and uh, we are going to be able to build our own economy, our own business without having to rely on, on centralized, you know, platform. Because, for example, if you're on YouTube, the only way for you to make money on YouTube is to accept advertising from YouTube and get a cut on the advertising, which is, by the way, a small cut of the money they are doing. Uh, but you cannot create your own business model on YouTube. Or think about, you know, even the App Store. You know, I mean, at the App Store, they are taking 30% of every transaction on any app, you know, on the App Store. It's basically their business model, and they don't want you to build... They want you to create content, but they won't. They don't want you to create your own economy, and have your own business model. So the web three is about. I, I I hear a lot of people that believe that the blockchain was invented to make us richer. This is totally wrong. You know, the blockchain is here to make us to set us free. So now we have the technology and also the infrastructure that is not in the hands of a handful of companies, but it's in the hand of the people. So now we can build our stuff by ourselves without any intermediary. That's basically the revolution. It's yeah, just that... an evolution of the web. I don't know if it's clear, but uh, that's the way I would describe, you know, this evolution. And blockchain yeah. is the technology, is the underlying, you know, infrastructure that allows us, you know, to do that. I can explain how the blockchain is working, but it's 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 actually not very exciting. For sure. No, that, that was a great summary. I think, you know, for, for Web2, it's just realizing that there was these, these companies and the technology uh, that allowed us to create content, but ultimately we don't, we don't own the content and there are gatekeepers no. to this content. And that is, th that's the big shift now is that it, it allows you to be the boss again. It allows you to own your data. It allows you to, um, you know, to actually identify your community, your fans, it allows you to build that relationship. And, and something that you say a lot, which could be a great transition into uncut, um, is, is it allows you to, um, you know, to, to build a community, but also to not make money from your community, but make money with your community. And I think that's, that's really powerful, you know, the, the, the Web3 um, paradigm shift, and specifically in regards to NFTs, um, you know, so, so maybe we can shift that conversation now to, um, really talk about the, the the tools that Uncut is allowing creators, any type of creator, obviously we can talk about athletes to do, right? So so talk a little bit about first, I guess, what Uncut is and uh, and then we can we can dive in from there. Yeah, so Uncut Uncut.fm is a is a platform that allows creative entrepreneurs like you uh, to build and grow a community and create you know mutual benefits you know with this community exactly to do exactly what you said where this is not about this is not like patreon or other platforms centralized you know platform where the idea is okay i've got a community so i'm gonna try to make the most money i can you know from this community so basically it's a one-way street where the creators are creating more and more content and the consumers and fans are paying for this content or for access to specific uh, premium content, but the money is always going into one direction. It's a one-way street, you know, kind of business. Uh, what we're trying to do with uh, with Uncut is 
you have a community and now thanks to this nft technology you can create mutual benefits you know with this community i just give you an example you can say for example to your community okay i'm going to create a membership in a form of a nft okay that you're going to buy it doesn't have to be free or it could be free but uh, i i mean uh, you have this membership card but uh, you pay for this membership card as an nft but you have the full ownership of this membership what does that mean? When it's like an object, you buy an object. It's just a digital asset that you own. Think about that. You know, what do we own <laughs> on the internet? Not a lot of things. You know, we don't own anything. We're renting a lot of stuff. We are accessing a lot of uh, content, but we don't own anything. The only thing we own is maybe your domain name. That's something you can own. That's a good parallel. You know, by the way, the domain name, the URL. You own the .com or .net. That's something you own. There is a ledger where it's registered, where basically you, Kevin Tarka, is the owner of this domain name. But besides you know, this kind of thing, there is not many things we own on the internet. Uh, and that's important real quick even to touch on before we get into other use cases. So for, for the athletes listening, for, for, for professional teams listening, uh, Instagram, all of the content you post on there, great. That's fine. But you don't, you don't own it. No. You don't own that content, right? And sometimes people forget about that. Even if my, you know, the, 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 your audience, I mean, your fans, your followers, I don't care if you have 100,000 or a million or, or 27, you don't own any of them, right? You, you don't have that data. It's all owned by Instagram. It's all owned by the, you know, the bigger technology company. And so it's just the, the reason why this is so important is because athletes now are, are, entrepreneurs athletes have a platform athletes have um an audience athletes have business ideas they have they have eyeballs but it's important that they leverage certain tools and technology aka uncut or or web3 in general to own that data and to help build that community and to help create revenue not from them but for them and with them yeah absolutely would you imagine create a business if you don't own your client database that would be, you know, insane, you know, to to do stuff, create stuff, sell this stuff, and it. I mean, it happens in. A, it's like selling stuff at Walmart. You don't have the relationship with the final client. You know, Walmart have this relationship with uh, their final client. You're just selling, you know, to Walmart. So, as an athlete or a celebrity, when you are on Instagram, it's like being a, on Walmart. I mean, it's exactly the same. You're you think that you have the direct relationship, but no, you don't. You know, you you just have your content displayed there, but the relationship with the people you don't have any data, you know, on them, and they don't want you, by the way, to get any data. And if they accept you to engage in a relationship, you know, with these people, they want that to happen on their platform. Okay, so basically, if I take this analogy with Walmart. You're selling your product, you know, to Walmart. If you want to interact, you know, with the clients, yes, we will allow you and we will sell you, by the way, a booth inside Walmart so you can talk with the clients at Walmart, but we'll never sell you the list of the clients at Walmart that bought your, uh, bought your product. So it's exactly the same analogy, you know, so it's insane. You know, I mean, that, uh, how do you build a business, you know, with that? How do you build your own brand? Mm. Uh, in in this context, it's very difficult. It's kind of impossible. It's an amazing analogy. And, and to double click on that for, for my athletes listening, just 
say for example, you have, let's say you have 50,000 followers as a professional athlete. And I said to you, who, who are your, who's your community? Who's your, who's your fans? Who's your audience? Who do you interact with? And if you tell me, okay, you interact with them when they comment on your post, that's fine. But who are they? How do you get in touch with them? What if Instagram uh, just shuts down tomorrow? Right? Like where, I mean, how do you, how do you interact with them? And so I give that example. And also obviously for podcasters, we can even double down on podcasters and athletes who podcast. You have amazing podcasts like JJ Reddick's podcast. You have, you know, Pat McAfee, you have uh, Brandon Marshall, you have Vince Carter, CJ McCollum, right? They have lots and lots of, 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 of downloads, right? hundred thousand downloads per, per, per episode or per month, whatever. Who's the audience? How do you identify them and how do you actually interact with them? So this is what the power of uncut brings you is to help you identify that by utilizing the technology of the blockchain. Yeah, it's about turning your audience into a community because everybody's talking about a community, 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 community. Everybody's using this word. The reality that most of the people have an audience, they don't have a community. The difference in between an audience and the community is very simple. Audience are people you are talking to. The community are the people who are talking to you. So yes, you might be talking to a lot of people and you might have a lot of people reacting to what you are uh, talking about, but this is an audience. Uh, the real, you have a community when you have a direct relationship with the people and that they not, you're not only talking to them, but they are able also to talk to you and build a relationship you know, with you. That's when you have a community. Another way uh, to see that is, um, how the chairs, you know, in a, in a room are displayed, you know, if all the chairs are facing, you know, the stage, that's an audience. If the chairs, you know, are facing each other in the room, that means that you have a community. So a lot of people believe they have a community and they, they use the word, you know, community, but actually they only have an audience. And I think we are getting into a world where we've been in a, in a world of, uh, in an economy of the attention where basically what you were monetizing is the number of followers you have. And, uh, and we know that these numbers are fake. That's something you can buy a little bit like reviews, you know, on Amazon, we know that most of them are fake and you can buy them. Uh, and we are, I think we are moving more and more into a new kind of economy that I call the intention economy. This is not about how many people are listening to you or watching your videos. It's about, you know, how many people are, ready to take action for you, are ready to do something for you. And that's a community. That's really the definition of, of a community is uh, you have a group and you build such trust because an attention, you can build an, an attention. You can buy an attention. Uh, but uh, uh, intention and a community has to be earned. And that's very different. So it, it comes with trust. And to have people uh, develop trust you know, with you, they need to have a feeling of a sense of ownership. And that's why, you know, NFTs is very interesting. If I take this analogy again, you know, with the membership, the big difference in the web free is then when you buy this membership and that when this membership is an NFT, if I disagree with you, I can sell, you know, this membership to someone else. Think about, you know, Netflix, you know, when you pay for Netflix, if you're not happy with Netflix, the only, um, thing you can do is to resign you know, your subscription, but it's a subscription. Here it's a membership you own. So I might own the membership of Kevin Tarka and I had maybe uh, 
uh, a very good deal because I was one of the first one, you know, to uh, 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 to discover, you know, Kevin. Uh, but I disagree, you know, with him. But now this uh, membership card that I have, you know, with Kevin, I can sell it to someone else if I want and get my money back. This is something that, of course, centralized platform don't want you to do, of course. But now with this technology, with the blockchain technology and the NFT technology, you can start creating digital assets uh, and make them rare, have a limited number of them, and uh, give these assets you know, to your true fans and let them own you know, these assets and do whatever they want you know, with it. It's, it's very powerful. I think, you know, one thing to touch on the intention versus attention. And if you're an athlete, I don't care if you're a pro athlete or the big topic now mm -hmm. is, is NIL, name, image, and likeness, and you want to get a brand sponsorship. Think about this for a second. Brands, I've, I've had conversations with many brands already that said, hey, Kevin, you know, we, you've been spending a lot of money and doing sponsorships with these college athletes, six-figure deals, and we don't see the ROI. Well, I could have told you that because just because they have a million followers, is it attention or intention? Do those followers want to actually interact if you do a brand post? Do you have 100,000 likes or do you have a certain amount of people in your inbox asking you for that product? So if you have an NFT and you actually, or, or a membership or any sort of technology, um, Web3 technology that's utilized, you, you then have those, you have that real community. Mm. And so you can then tell brands, hey, instead of just saying, I'll post this picture with your product on Instagram, no, no, no. We have a group. We have a community. We have a group chat. We have a Zoom session every month. We have this. We have that. That's a lot of value for you as an athlete to provide to potential brands who want to sponsor you and not just throw in a product. And I think it's a great transition into what you touched on is utility. So can you explain, you know, we've seen some, some pro athletes or some entertainers launch NFT projects. And it's very, for me, it's very easy to see these kind of get rich quick type schemes, but yeah. The, the, the big importance is the utility behind it. So maybe walk someone through like, hey, th this is an example for an athlete of an NFT or a token that you can create and the utility behind it, the purpose behind it, the value behind it. Yeah, so imagine, for example, and that's something we've been talking about because we're talking right now with athletes that want to use uh, the blockchain and the NFT technology to do stuff, you know, and uh, we involve in some conversation with some of them. Now imagine you're a athlete and uh, you're going to create a club, okay? And, uh, but this club, we, are, we have only 500 members and or 1,000 members, okay? So but you might have millions of followers, but now you're creating this club. Why you want this club, you know, to be small? Because you want true relationship, you know, with the members. And you know that when you have, I don't know, 2 million people following you, you're not going to have... Uh, authentic relationship with these two million people, of course. But uh, so you're going to create a club with maybe only 1,000 members or 500 members. And the only way to enter, you know, this club is to buy the NFT that is, uh, and the utility of this NFT is access, you know, to this club. And when you're athletes, so the first thing I would do, I would put myself in the club, but I would put some of my friends, other athletes in the club. So basically when you're a fan of this athlete and uh, he's saying, okay, I'm building this club, there will be only 1,000 members. No, there will never be you know, more. 
and uh, you get to buy, you know, this NFT. And by the way, the price is pretty low, you know, right now because I want, you know, the, my true fans, you know, to get access to it. But the people who are going to be inside this club are going to create the the true value of this membership. But now you buy the NFT and you have this access card, you know, to this unique exclusive club with your favorite athlete. And you discovered that in this club, there is LeBron James, Steph Curry that you didn't know, you know, before. So what you bought, you know, maybe uh, $200 because of the people inside this club or because of the quality of the conversation going on inside this club that is very exclusive, uh, the value of this NFT is going to go up, you know, drastically. That's exactly what happened with Bored Ape, you know. It's exactly that, you know. They minted only 10,000 uh, Bored Apes. And, and, um, and, and, and so that's one thing I would do. You know, and the utility here is to be part of something that is unique, rare, and limited. So uh, that's uh, so access to stuff. You know, so basically, mm -hmm. NFTs are just like access cards that give you access to exclusive stuff. So because the utility is so great, you're never going to sell it. You know, that's uh, why, because... Uh, that board able CryptoPunk is a good example. Uh, yes, there is some secondary market, but most of the people want to keep it because the value inside the community is so amazing. The members, uh, the people inside, you know, the community, the quality. I mean, at a follower in an Instagram, I mean, and everybody can follow you on Instagram. So it has no value. I mean, uh, because it's, uh, you're, you're free to follow. So basically it has absolutely no value here. It's something very exclusive. And uh, so because if you find, but now if you don't see any more value in that, you can decide, you know, to resell, you know, your membership card with the utility that goes with it uh, to anyone else. So that's one of utilities access, you know, to stuff that is unique and rare. But there is other form of utility. You can think about, you know, for example, royalties where basically there is NFTs that say that part of the utility is to say, okay, I'm going to sell, you know, some NFTs to raise some money that are going to help me. For example, imagine your hat lead. You say, okay, you know what? I'm going to create uh, a brand of, uh, I don't know, T-shirts, you know, whatever. If you buy the NFT, we're going to raise money, you know, together that will help us produce and create, you know, these uh, clothes, Okay together and um, and if you buy the nft you get a cut on the sale on all the revenue that is going to be made you know through uh this new brand you know we are creating together so here the utility is a royalty is a share revenue um so you can use that for many um uh, reasons you, you can also create imagine you're creating an nft that is about raising money and create a treasury to uh, help, you know, other charities or organization, nonprofit organizations. So you're selling your NFT and you're saying the utility that thanks to me, all the money is not going to me. I'm not, you know, trying to make money out of you, but together we are going to bring money, you know, to, uh, in, a, in a fund. And with this money, we're going to get to decide as a community which organization are we going to help? So that's super, super interesting. Another utility can be governments. 
So basically, you buy NFTs and you have a voting right associated you know, with this NFT. So for example, if there is a treasury, a collective treasury that is built you know, through um, uh, this, this operation, then you might have also in the NFT a voting right that is associated you know, with this NFT. So when there is decision on how to use you know, this treasury, you've got a voice. You can cast you know, your vote and decide. And the more you have NFTs, the more you have votes to cast. So that's another thing. But the, the beauty of everything I'm saying here, you're going to think, okay, but why using the blockchain you know, to do that? Because you can do that without the blockchain. The blockchain is providing you with a transparency. Everything is public. It's visible, which creates most trust. You know, so basically there is no, uh, there is no thing hidden. Everything is super transparent. But more importantly, it's totally seamless and effortless. So basically, if you want to do exactly what I said you know, before, you have to incorporate a company. You have to create a bank account. You have to sign contract you know, with people. You have to uh, manage you know, some money. Here, it's all on the blockchain. There is a smart contract. The money is transferring from one wallet to another seamlessly without you know, any bank account or anything. If you're saying, for example, I'm raising you know, this fund and 80% of the money I'm raising is going to this charity, I mean, you don't, you're not receiving the money. The blockchain is going to make the splits. The smart contract is going, to be the, is going to be splitting the revenue of the NFT in between you and whoever you want on the blockchain. And all that is going to be fully transparent. So there is no, you can track, you know, all the transaction and verify that everything is going well. This, if you want to do it, you know, with traditional tools, Someone told me, yeah, yeah, why doing, why using the blockchain? Yes, you're right. I can send you a, mess, a message, you know, with the facts. But there is this new technology available today that we can use, and that's what we are providing at Uncut.fm. When you create your account on Uncut.fm, I don't know if people realize what what we do. We create a community space for you with a smart contract and a, and a, and a crypto wallet. So the moment you click, you know, and create your account, you've got these three magic tools, you know, available. A community space that you really own with all the data about your members. It's not ours, it's yours. You have the smart contract that allows you to mint some NFTs and, and create, you know, contracts, you know, with the people who buy them, where basically you can split revenue, you can put some benefits, utilities that are managed, you know, by the blockchain in a transparent and public way. And you have a wallet to uh, collect, you know, the funds uh, in crypto. This is basically what we're doing. So you have these three tools, you know, in one place, in one click. It's amazing. I, I mean, I think, you know, you, you obviously talked about a lot, but uh, as we've been talking about for the athlete, there's just tremendous amount of opportunities, but not even just the athlete. If you're a brand listening guy, you know, if, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a, a, a team, a pro team, a pro, uh, you know, a club team overseas or, you know, in the NBA, I mean, there's there's endless opportunities here, you know, from from simple merch ideas. You know, you, you can you can do 
an entire business model of merchandise and signed jerseys. You can do behind the scenes content that you have only access for people who are part of your community, right? Not even to talk about events. You can, you can create events and you can split revenues with nonprofits. You can, you can build, uh, you can build basketball courts in other countries. Or, or and you can have your community members, you know, do stuff. Decide for that. Yes. I mean, yeah, it's so not powerful. Only decide, but also sometimes the most, most of the time when I talk with creators, I ask them always this question. Imagine you have unlimited uh, money and unlimited number of time, okay, uh, amount of time. What would you do? And they come with, oh, I've got a ton of ideas, but I don't have the time or I don't have the money, you know, to do that. Now imagine because we have this financial infrastructure that you say, okay, guys, you say to your community, I don't have the time to create, I don't know, a, a, a clothes brand. You know, um, whatever. If there is a member inside the community that want to do that in partnership with me, I will be promoting that and we're going to create an NFT and we're going to share the revenue together where I only keep, you know, 30% of that and 70% is going for the production and for you. And you create with a smart contract, you know, so buy to buy, you know, this clothes, you need the NFT. And every time you buy the NFT, there is the split is done and it's public and it's totally transparent, you know, for everybody. Then you can start, you know, uh, activating some members of your community to do stuff for you and cut a deal, you know, with them, thanks to the blockchain and these smart contracts. And you will see more people, athletes and stuff like that, doing more stuff because we know that athletes or celebrities or artists don't have time. It's not just, or maybe they don't have the expertise or don't have the time. But if you build a community, inside your community, there is amazing talent. Uh, and uh, you can now identify them and cut a deal you know, with them that is transparent and stop making business. And that's, w that's exactly what I mean when I say, Don't try to make money from your community. Make money, you know, with them. Is now you have the capacity, you really to uh, uh, do stuff, you know, with your community members and share, you know, some of the upside of this, you know, with them, which is it, fascinating. It's it's fascinating, and, and you know, again, I know a, a lot. We we talk about the NBA and 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 male athletes. Obviously, uh, that's just kind of been, you know. The, the, the business and the industry that I've been in, but female athletes and musicians. And, you know, can you imagine if, you know, um, um, Serena Williams has her e-commerce brands, right? And you have uh, Alex Morgan, who's a, who is a professional uh, women's soccer player has, I believe she wrote like a, a children's book and turned it into an animation series. And you have the Kardashians with all their products and you have CJ McCollum with his wine and anything, any type of athlete, their audience wants to be involved. And so the involvement Like being having access to access and upside to what you know projects that athletes and influencers are doing is really powerful, and there's really no other tool to do that besides no. Web3 and, and specifically Uncut, of course. And also because uh, I think that a lot of the assets that are going to be made in the future are going to be digital assets and not physical assets. We've, we've seen in the past, you know, in the sports space, you know, a lot of athletes doing a lot of physical goods for their mm. fans and making a lot of money, you know, out of them. But the reality that in the, in the world we are, we are, we are going into, these goods are going to be more and more digital and NFT just a way for you to create some scarcity an inventory of these digital goods to track, you know, the, the, um, 
the authenticity of these digital goods because the problem with digital is that it can be copied, it copied you know, very, very easily. So now NFT guarantee you that it's the original you know, one. And uh, and attach you know special benefits you know to it that give you access or whatever kind of rights attaching it to them, and why it's because we are getting into a digital world you know that's the reality that we are spending ten to eleven hours a day you know online, and not offline. We might regret it you know and we might think it's a it's a lame and uh, it's bad but it's it's a reality you know it's 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 it is what it is you know so we'll see more and more digital goods, you know, happening, you know, so, and you, we need a new infrastructure, you know, to manipulate, you know, these digital goods and to let, you know, people own them. And we didn't have that. It's uh, a really like powerful it. stuff, really powerful stuff. So, so we, uh, I mean, I know we talked about a lot of topics. We, we might have to do a, another round, another episode because there's an, uh, a tremendous amount of tools and case studies we can share with Uncut. Um, but as we wrap up here, I, I like to ask my guests, a piece of advice for the audience. So let's say if you're an athlete listening, um, you know, what, what piece of advice would you have for them if they want to, if they're a beginner and they want to tap into the Web3 or NFT world, what's a simple piece of advice you have for someone to try to get acclimated and learn more about this, this new world we're going towards? I think it's about, uh, the first thing you have to do is to try yourself, you know, as a consumer. Uh, mm. So if you haven't opened a crypto wallet yet i will definitely start you know opening a crypto wallet either i don't know metamask is the most uh well known and have your own crypto wallet it's like opening a bank account you know on the blockchain so basically now you have your own bank account and you can start you know storing digital assets on this bank account and own you know these digital assets uh in your crypto wallet so that's the first thing i would do open a crypto wallet go to MetaMask and uh, create your own account. And then after start engaging, you know, with NFTs. So there is different platforms. Uh, OpenSea is maybe the, the most well-known. Yeah, I, I know it's a bunch of uh, stupid JPEGs, you know, with no utility, but to acclimate yourself, you know, and just buy some art, you know, there is a platform that I really love named Foundation, foundation.app, A-P-P. And uh, foundation.app is, uh, there is beautiful art, you know, photographers and stuff like that. So get used to uh, own a piece of art or something like that. That's the way you're going to get into this space. And then after, when you start understanding what it means, you know, to own something, uh, you'll start, you know, getting NFT that give you real utilities. And most of the time, one of the utilities is access to a community. So after that, you know, start engaging, you know, with the community, start, you know, buying the NFT, you might have an access, you know, to a discord or to uh, a, a online you know, community space. And you will be very surprised by the quality of the relationship inside, you know, those communities, because it's very different. It's, it has nothing to do with what you uh, you are used to on Twitter or Facebook, mm. because all these people that are here, are here for a reason they put some money on the table they are here because they believe in something they have a purpose so you will see that the quality of the conversation and the quality of the relationship in between the members are totally different than in other uh, online communities uh, that are usually 
very toxic and very ineffective and very time consuming and totally useless at the end of the day. So that's the three steps I would do is open a, a crypto wallet, buy your first NFTs and start engaging with the, the communities of these NFTs, get into the conversation with them. You would discover, you know, great people that have the same interest than you. And you would start, you know, building amazing relationship with, with these people that would get you into the space. Then after, yes, try to create your own community and, uh, and build your own NFTs yourself. That's a, that the natural, you know, next step, you know, for you, but before getting there, you know, I'll start, you know, using the product. Definitely. Yeah. Three, three easy steps right there. I know it seems like, uh, it could be overwhelming, but once you, once you jump in, like anything else you learn, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll learn quickly. And then when you get to the point that, uh, you do want to launch your own NFTs uncut is, uh, is the place to be. So this was amazing. I know we have to wrap up the last thing here I have for my guests is what I call a sports business lightning round. So I just fire quick questions at you and you have to oh answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Ready? <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite color? Uh, blue. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Oh, coffee. Definitely. <laughs> Pizza or pasta? Pasta. I'm from we Europe, but remember, you know, I mean, that's an easy one. Very American. You know? So <laughs> even if people believe that it's Italian, you know, there's nothing to do with Italy. You know, it's very American. So no pasta, pasta. Would you rather be able to speak to all animals or speak four languages fluently? Which I you might cl be close to. Yeah, I think yeah, you might I already, already have that one. four languages. You know, I hope, you know, fluently. I don't know. My English is not that great, but uh, um I would love you know, to speak for, for, to four animals. Yes, yes, definitely. I like that. It's the first, I think you might be the first guest, guest that has four fluent languages. So congrats on that. What is, what is your favorite country outside the one you're in right now? <laughs> Spain, for sure. What is one of your biggest strengths? Um, I think that it's creativity and being creative and, um, come up you know with crazy ideas and turn them into business who is one of the first people to truly believe in you i think it's my parents for sure they they were even if they i became an entrepreneur and that was not part of their plan i think that my the day i i i said to my mother that i will i gonna create a company she i think she started crying because she wanted me, you know, to be a teacher. And um, she was very worried about this career. But uh, right after she was very supportive and I know that right now she's very proud. So uh, yeah, definitely my parents and my father are so as well. I'm not mentioning, he didn't cry, but I think internally he cried also. <laughs> Great answer. What is one of your biggest fears? Oh, that's a very interesting question. Uh, my biggest fear is to get outdated. Mm. I'm 49. Uh, the, my friends, you know, I've, I've got a, I play a lot of video games and I've got friends, you know, I play League of Legends. I've got 16 years old Korean friends. They don't know I'm 49. And uh, I'm very proud of that. My daughters, you know, I've got two daughters, 16 and 19. They, 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 they find that very creepy. You know, they're like, what are you, <laughs> you have 16 years old Korean friends? And you're playing League of Legends, you know, with them every day. I'm like, yeah, and I'm very proud of that. I feel like it's, uh, 
I, I try to spend a, m a lot of time, you know, with the new generation, especially the Gen Z that I think is a very fascinating generation. I really love. Very cool. creative, by the way. For sure. T two more here. If you could have dinner and drinks with anybody in the world, dead or alive, who's one person that comes to mind that would be? Uh, the first person that comes to m my mind is Prince. I was mm. a big fan of Prince and uh, I, 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 my God, that's for me. If I could, you know, have a dinner with Prince, I had, I play music, you know, myself. So I, I play guitar. I have so many questions you know, to ask him. How did he come up, you know, with this? And uh, yeah, and yeah, Prince for sure. It's a great answer. And last one, if you could turn back time and talk to 18 year old Carlos, what's something you would tell him real quickly? Ah, uh, don't worry, it's gonna be all right. Don't worry. That's that's because great. I was very worried, and I think it's normal that in the your young age, um, you're very worried. And uh, yeah, just carry on. Fantastic. Well, Carlos, this was amazing. I appreciate you coming on, man. I have so many notes sure, here. No I can't problem. wait to share this with the audience. And I know we're going to have some, uh, some athletes and some, maybe some brands and some clubs too. They're going to be interested in the product. So uh, I appreciate you. And we will, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening, my friends. If you enjoyed the episode or if it brought you any value at all, it would mean the world to me if you could give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you share it on social media, make sure you tag me at Kevin Tarka. If there are any topics that you want me to dive into or any guests you'd love for me to have on the show, just shoot me a message and I will do my best to make it happen. Have an amazing day and hope to see you back here soon.